Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we get the insight take from actors, artists, and creators on their work, their career, and the things they obsess about. I'm your host, Connie Guillermo. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, which is why we thought it was a good time to revisit a conversation I had with Mayim Bialik. The actor, who you may know as nerdy neurobiologist Amy Farrah Fowler on The Big Bang Theory, and as the title character in the TV teen sitcom Blossom, also has a doctorate in neuroscience. She grew up in a house with what she describes as a tremendous amount of mental health challenges, which she tells me can spill over both genetically and environmentally to the next generation. While the world was in COVID lockdown, Bialik decided to launch a new podcast called Mayim Bialik's Breakdown, which she co-created with her partner, Jonathan Cohen. Bialik uses each episode to interview a well-known guest to talk openly about the stress, uncertainty, fear, isolation, and other emotions that have come to the fore as we're all living through the coronavirus pandemic. I also talked with her about how technology, such an important lifeline while we've been sequestered this past year, is affecting our mental health, both in good ways and bad. A quick note, because of COVID-19 and shelter in place, our conversation was recorded over the internet. So be prepared if the audio sounds a little quirky. So, Mayim Bialik, uh, we're talking to you today because of your background in neuroscience, and you have just recently started a podcast to help people get through some of the challenges they're facing. So thank you very much for joining us today. And let's start with What is the idea behind what you're doing? Introduce our audience to your podcast. Um, Well, I guess this was kind of my my quarantine baby, this podcast. Um, I've always had a very strong interest in in mental health. Um, I grew up in a house that had a tremendous amount of mental health challenges, and that often spills over both genetically and environmentally to the next generation. And I also studied psychoneuroendocrinology for my thesis topic. So I, I studied obsessive compulsive disorder and I worked in the Neuropsychiatric Institute. So um, this has always been something that's been interesting to me. But after I got my doctorate, um, I ended up returning to acting. And, and honestly, there are a lot of things I'm passionate about, but the question really is sort of what can this platform, this reach, you know, be used for? And um, during the during the, the, the quarantine, I, I realized that many people who already had been struggling with mental health challenges were seeing an increase in those challenges. And many people who had previously never really acknowledged or experienced mental health challenges, all of a sudden were saying, what is this feeling? What is happening? Why can't I sleep? Why can't I eat? Why do I have racing, scary thoughts? You know, um, many people were asking me the difference between anxiety attacks and panic attacks during, uh, you know, last year. So my partner, Jonathan and I, um, we decided to sort of use my neuroscience background and this platform, I have almost a million followers on YouTube. And the idea is, uh, we called it my Bialik's breakdown so that I could say, welcome to my breakdown. And the, the main concept is that it is a human right for us to know about mental health, to even know what we're experiencing, what to call it, what it means, what to expect if you do get help, um, how to get help, why it's hard to get help. And the idea is not to have a, a show about a celebrity who's figured it all out and here are the amazing things that I do. Uh, I'm a person who's still on a path, you know, I'm on a path of recovery and um, many of us are still struggling, 
but that doesn't mean that there's not information that we can share. And the idea is to talk to experts in the field and people who are experts in their own journey. And many of those people are, are celebrity people or, or people who have a, a public platform as well. And we literally ask them, what's their journey been like? What worked, what didn't work? This isn't about diagnoses and here's what you have and what pill you should take. This is about what are the things that people do for depression? Everything ranging from holding crystals and chanting, you know, to uh, pharmaceuticals and, and psychiatry. So it's been a real exploration of, of each person's approach to mental health with an eye towards educating people and as we say, breaking things down so they don't have to. <laughs> well, you also point out there's a lot of misunderstanding and even a stigma about people talking about mental health, right? We're in this culture where rah, rah, everybody wins, go forward, confidence, be out there, social media, et cetera. And so when you're sitting down to plot this out, you started with, I, your first episode was about anxiety, which I think everyone can relate to. But when you think about the challenges that we've looked back, back over the, just the past year, never mind the past decade, as our society has, a lot of factors have come together to uh, you know, inflict pain on us in a lot of different ways, not, not the least of which was it was an election year, which brought its own challenges. <laughs> um, there is a lot of myth. So the first question I have for you is how do you convince people to trust you? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I can convince people to trust me. What I, what I can do, and I sort of, you know, give my, my qualifications and my credentials. Yes, I have a doctorate in neuroscience and it was my, my job and my training to understand pharmaceuticals and to be able to read WebMD if you can't. Um, I'm a science communicator. That's what that's what people like me in science are called. So that's sort of just my skill set. You either like how I explain things or you don't. You know, if you don't like this accent, you're not gonna, you know, probably like listening to it for a long time. Um, but in terms of my other qualifications, I I've experienced or been close to just about every diagnosis that there is. And that happens in many, many families. We just often don't talk about it. So, you know, it was kind of always a thing like, oh, there was a great aunt who talked to cars, you know? And it was kind of something that was always said with a joke, but that was someone who was schizophrenic, you know? Like that was a person who was, who was wounded. And like, now we see all these things, but you know, my family has been touched by suicide more than twice. Um, we have many, many diagnoses in our family that we didn't used to call diagnoses. It was just like, he's like this, she's impossible. You know, I can't talk to that person. So that's my family story. And it's not like I go through every single member of my family and rake them over the coals. Uh, my, my mother a little bit gets, <laughs> she gets the worst of it, but she's very good humored about it. Um, no, but I'm a person also, and I've been very open. Um, I've had OCD for literally as long as I can remember. I didn't even know that's what it was, which often happens with people with OCD, especially children. Um, I've experienced depression. I, I think I qualified for generalized anxiety disorder literally in the womb. So I, I definitely, I've, I've tried just about every medication there is. I've tried them in different combinations because psychiatrists thought that would help. Um, and I've also done a lot of things that have moved me away from a lot of the kind of traditional things people are told, which is numb it out, sedate it, drink. You know, I mean, a lot of people will say, here's what you should do to feel better. Um, so I have a kind of a personal, you know, hard fought journey into figuring out what works and um, what brings a certain amount of really serenity and, and global mental wellness. Okay. I want to qualify this by saying, I, I don't disbelieve you. <laughs> I actually have listened to all your podcasts and I do appreciate that you do show so much of yourself. 
to make it real. And that this is not a celebrity trying to sell you the latest face cream or whatever, uh, you know, that is out there. So thank you for that. I think I'm not, I'm not even trying to, you know, I'm not trying to push a particular form of meditation or, you know, what I can say is here's what works for me. And I'm a very kind of normal person. You know, I I'm inconsistent and I'm messy and sloppy and I forget to do my meditation and all those things. Like I'm much more normal than, than people think. Well, let's talk about some of the issues and the topics that you're going to be talking about, but that you've already started to talk about. Your approach is very pragmatic and very practical. And I, I appreciate that people want, they want to hear about the challenges and opportunities, but they also want some guidance. There's so much information out there. We're living in the land of information overload. So let's just start with anxiety. Mm-hmm. When you talk about anxiety, people come to you and say, I'm anxious. We've gone through some crazy stuff. It doesn't seem to be quite over yet. Although we're hoping that there's an end to some, some of the crazy and we get to some new level of abnormal, whatever that is. What's your, give, give us your um, overview of what's the answer to anxiety? Yeah. I mean, again, this is my, this is my relatively lay person's, um, you know, set of experiences and suggestions because you know, as a, as a neuroscientist, I'm, I'm raised to be a research professor. You know, I'm not a therapist. I'm not that kind of doctor, as I like to say. Um, you know, I spent a lot of years trying to figure out how to not be so impacted by the news, for example. Um, and I finally realized that I may not be able to have the wavelength for taking in all of that kind of information like I did when I was 20 or like other people might. So, Um, to me, that's one of the simplest solutions that doesn't involve medication. It doesn't involve getting a referral, uh, turning down the volume really on what you take in is extremely important. That also goes for having conversations about what's going on with people who make you feel agitated or yucky. Meaning if you have family members, for example, during the election with whom you did not agree to the point that it was affecting your mental health. That is completely in your power and control to lovingly detach from those conversations. So there are very simple things like that that I think can help shift a lot. Um, Another thing about anxiety, things like caffeine, things like alcohol, things like not having even a roughly regular pattern of sleep and wakefulness, that will add to your overall anxiety because it lowers your baseline for tolerance, essentially. Um, so those are really just, you know, simple things. And, um, you know, those are kind of two of my favorites. I also do use a free, I use Insight Timer, which is just a free meditation app. They don't pay me, but they should, is what I say. Um, learning to turn your brain off, even for five, five feels like too little to me. Seven minutes is kind of the minimum. Giving yourself the gift of only listening to a guided meditation or a body scan and doing nothing else, closing your eyes, not looking at your phone, that actually adds a tremendous amount of resilience. And there are physiological reasons, it's what we talk about on the podcast, Um, but things like that, again, we're just talking about lowering that baseline so that you're not starting the day at this level of anxiety. Um, Following on that, you did another episode on stress which I thought was fascinating. Again, something everyone in the world can relate to right now. Give us a little bit of an overview of dress. 
Yeah. I mean, stress and anxiety often do go, you know, hand in hand. So a lot of the same things that I talk about for anxiety also do work for stress. But um, this is also a common theme, especially when we talk to to people like Eliza Schlesinger, who is um, the the subject of our third episode. Um, you know, sometimes when we talk to people, the topic reveals itself. Um, and the, the case of Eliza was that she was having a very specific chronic, you know, physical pain um, that indeed is exacerbated by stress. And this is one of those things that used to be, you know, kind of on the fringes of our understanding or like, oh, that's for the hippies to understand. But we're seeing more and more that Western medicine is finally listening to thousands of years of Eastern medicine in that the things that we do, the way that we live, what we think about absolutely contributes to the way we perceive pain, the way we process pain and the way we heal. So that episode was a really interesting exploration also into someone who for most of her life has been burning the candle at both ends very successfully. Like that's a woman that's constantly on the go. So it's especially, you know, it's, it's bizarre, right? To be laid low by something when you're used to go, 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 go. So um, that was actually a very interesting episode for us because I wasn't sure what her comfort level would be because sometimes it is, it can be, it can be somewhat embarrassing, you know, to say like, here's what's happening. And I, you know, but she was really open about it. And that's also been really good. People seem to trust me and want to talk to me even when they know they're being recorded, which is a, it's a wonderful, you know, gift, like to be able to, to hold for people. You know, and we talked a lot about holding in that stress episode as well. Um, our bodies do hold stress. Muscle memory is a thing. Emotional memory, it is held in places in our body. That's a thing that we know to be true. So we got to explore all of that. And that's a lot of what our episodes are. They kind of start one place and they, they meander, we think, in a very pleasant way. And then they always come back to that theme. But you can't just ask someone what hurts. You have to ask, what were you raised like? What's your stress level? What's your lifestyle? Oh, and now we see how this is hurting. So we are living at a time when people have embraced technology more than ever, right? Uh, Zoom is a verb. I'm talking to you over technology. That's a good and bad thing, right? We're isolated, but we can get connected thanks to technology, but technology can infringe in our space and, you know, send conflicting messages, uh, you know, disinformation aside. So when you think about trying to reach people, you have this great platform. Do you think about the dichotomy of the platform and asking people to connect? Yeah. And that's something actually that Jonathan and I talk about because Jonathan operates in kind of the, the futurist space, which like, I didn't even know that was a thing that you can be a futurist until he explained it to me. And that actually is one of the categories of topics we do want to talk about how technology is impacting our mental health, both in good ways and in bad ways. And as a, you know, classically trained neuroscientist, I'm, I'm always going to say that no matter how we connect, there is nothing like being in a room with someone and having the opportunity to physically be in the presence of another human being as a form of interaction. And, you know, I'm a mom of a 12 and 15 year old. They're, they're both boys. Um, I don't know why I said they're both boys. Like it changes what I was going to say, but um, I do, I have two sons and I see the way that they have to be literate 
and the way that it also does impact the way their brain processes information and takes it in. So I think that that's one of, and also the most important aspect of the challenge of technology. Um, you know, the fact that attention can be so divided so quickly is very complicated. And I think that's something that Jonathan and I really try and tend to. Um, we speak very conversationally and we want people to feel like they are listening in on a conversation that we are then having, you know, with our expert. Um, there's not a lot of formality to, to the podcast, which, you know, for me, I feel like is a more natural, you know, way for people to hear a conversation. And we try and, you know, we do have to have ads because that's a thing that has to happen. And we try and, you know, make them as personable as possible and with things that we really believe in. So we're hoping that that, you know, kind of gives a, a holistic, a uh, nice sheen on what we're doing as we communicate through technology to encourage people to power down sometimes. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you that if you, you're a parent, you have two boys, as you mentioned, what do you tell them? Are you concerned at all about their mental well-being? Yeah. I mean, look, as, as the kind of mom that I am and the kind of dad that their dad is, we're, we're always very geared and, and always have been, you know, towards their, their mental health. Um, you know, especially because I do come from a family with, with it, you know, its share of complexity and every family has complexity, you know? So it's something that we've always, um, given a lot of focus to, and, you know, for all the, all the horrible things that people would say about attachment parents and the way we communicated with our children, uh, for our children, it has made them very, very communicative and sensitive, and they are able to articulate a lot about their inner world and have been really um, for a very long time in their in their short lives. I will say that um, they do express having feelings, especially my older son, who's very social, um, of feeling like, why am I getting out of bed? Why do I need to get dressed? Do I really need to shower? You know, and a lot of those things just come with being a teenager, but um, it is something that I'm concerned about and do continue to be concerned about. Also, it's it's important to know that I can't make their anxiety mine because that only makes everything worse, which is one of the reasons that, you know, uh, backing off a little bit on my desire for extreme obedience and discipline had to really, you know, a little bit lighten up the notion of only two hours of screen time that went out the window. <laughs> long time ago. So the notion that my children were all of a sudden going to become like macrame experts, like because I want them to be, it, I've had to loosen that up really to reduce, honestly, the overall strain on them because they're anxious enough hearing about the news. And, you know, Black Lives Matter brought this country to its knees. They were aware of that. And we educate them about that as well. And um, my older son is on TikTok and Instagram. So he's got a whole news source, you know, of information that I'm grateful he comes to us, you know, at least still uh, might not last forever to help him process. So, and look, anti-Semitism is a thing and um, being 2% of the US population is, uh, I know that a lot of people feel like Jews are everywhere, but we're actually not. And so also to be dealing with that with my older son has been very, very interesting because a lot of it has increased, you know, in this last year that he's seeing, you know, on his platforms that he's on. Futurist question is our last question. And that is, you've talked about this a lot. You've lined up your guests, uh, had many conversations that I'm looking forward to hearing from. But as you look into 2021, what do you think are maybe the top two things that are coming our way that people should be cognizant of? 
I think we're going to be dealing with the increased impact of isolation. And I know that there are many parts of the country and world that are getting back to more integration. I'm here in Los Angeles where it's been a really, really rough road, still is. Um, so I think we're going to be dealing with the persistence of the new normal, which still involves a tremendous amount of anticipatory anxiety. You know, that's what a lot of the kind of anxiety we're having now is what's called anticipatory anxiety. And honestly, not to make it so kind of COVID heavy, but um, I do think that there are going to be long-term mental health impacts of this period of time that we're going to start trying to get out of. So I see those as two distinct things. You know, there's kind of a maintenance and then there's also this re, you know, reintegration that's going to have its own, I mean, we're already experiencing it. You know, many of us have friends who are ready to get back to life and we're kind of like, mm, not quite ready. It's causing a lot of, you know, shifts in a lot of the ways that people relate. So I think we are gonna see, you know, the impacts of that. And the fact is the thing about doing a mental health podcast, you know, this is something you do because you're passionate about it. Because the fact is there has always been and always will be people who need mental health support who are being denied it. Sometimes because of lack of financial resources, sometimes socioeconomic considerations and underserved populations are increasingly underserved in these arenas. So to me, there's nothing really new under the sun about the mental health crisis that has been going on for a very, very long time. So really just hoping that 2021 allows me, you know, to even do my small part in trying to open up the conversation and, and reduce the stigma, as you said. Well, I look forward to hearing your podcast touch on some of these topics in 2021. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. Thanks again to Maya Bialik for talking with me. And thank you for listening. We hope you'll take a moment to subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, be safe.